and welcome, welcome to another edition of News of the World, the news-related podcast that is brought to you by popular support, people in the streets demanding that news of the world come out each week, and the people demand that this is done by me, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, also known as Bicycle Mark, <gasps> currently in Portugal, and the people demand that it's done by Tim Pritlove, who's over there in Berlin. Hello, Tim. Hello. Yeah, the ride is on the streets. Last time I counted, it's about 20 million people just asking for this program. Oh, no, wait. No? I think it was about something else. The, they wanted more fish. <laughs> no, I think they wanted more presidents. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's turn quickly to, to, to Egypt, where, yeah, the same story is starting all over again, somehow. No, Tim, it's a fantastic new chapter. No, I, Is I really, it? I, I was excited. <laughs> Yesterday was a huge day. Uh, I think we can set it up by mentioning that uh, two days ago, the Egyptian military did their, their 48-hour uh, deadline that you had to fix things, dude. And they said that to the president. That's how you talk to a president. Uh, yes. And they told Morsi uh, he had to figure something out. They didn't exactly say what would happen except that they'd get involved. And, uh, well, they got involved yesterday. They removed Morsi, who still insists he's the president. He's in a basement somewhere having cabinet meetings and playing the national anthem and I'm sure walking around <laughs> like the president. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, With a head that's, on. <laughs> it's a very philosophical thing, right? Like, are you president if nobody salutes you? Or are you president if nobody asks you to do anything? Yeah. And so uh, he, uh, he's out, and uh, there's now a roadmap. Um, there's always roadmaps for things, you know. There was a, I think there was a roadmap. Who had a road? Oh, yeah, the, the Israel and Palestine had a roadmap, I think. Maybe oh, even yeah, Iraq. Oh, yeah, roadmaps everywhere. Roadmap. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But... Um, before we get to the roadmap, let's talk about how this all ended. Because the last days were sort of yeah, steering towards um, this high noon situation where nobody knew what was uh, about to happen. And if the army is really going to do their thing, the what, what they announced. And they did. And they did it by setting... Well, they didn't throw him into prison. But he was sort of um, brought to his own home and he has to stay there. Oh, but they no. were also going for uh, lots of other Muslim Brotherhood leaders. Right. So it's more than just, you know, taking the president out. It's more um, trying to keep the whole Muslim Brotherhood under control. And, I mean, these two groups, the military and Muslim Brotherhood, have been the main enemies in uh, in Egypt for a very, very, very long time. So I don't know how this is uh, going to turn out in that regard, because what do the supporters of Morsi do in the future? Well, that is a good question. Um, it, it is a weird thing, what's happening, obviously, but I also half understand the attempt, which is, you know, for example, uh, Muslim Brotherhood, the, the TV channel... <laughs> The TV channel, yes, known for its reality programming. No, um, no, Muslim Brother TV was taken off the air, mm -hmm. and um, at first it's like, hey, this is not democratic. But if you read some of the texts, I mean, assuming they're following their own writing, the military is concerned 
about the incitement of violence in media, which is actually something that a lot of countries in this world are concerned about and trying to figure out, you know, what kind of policy you'll have for when, when you've stepped beyond freedom of expression. So I, I don't know if they're actually justified at this moment, but uh, I can understand looking at things like media, and actually it's, it's in their roadmap, uh, they're concerned, they call it media's professionalism, and they want a code of ethics. I think the worry here is, you're going to have a media that's powerful enough to say, get out there with your sticks and your guns yeah. um, and, and, and invent a reality. I mean, invent a reality to, to, to urge people to do violence and enough people would. So if that's the reasoning, I, 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 I think I understand. I, I'm, I'm excusing it. I really am. Um, but you're right. You know, they've arrested some members of the Muslim Brotherhood leadership. And I've only read that they've arrested them. I haven't read why. Yeah. Uh, what charges now this could easily be answered as well there are possible answers uh, the muslim brotherhood has carried out some underhanded uh, tactics in terms of protests and anti-protests and and thuggery and i mean it it's not that the hands are clean or anything but but we don't really hear exactly what they're being charged with. So that's definitely disturbing. And I know a lot of Egyptians who were in the streets who wanted uh, Morsi out as a uh, an ineffective and not really democratic leader, or at least not you know representing the people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're also look. They're cheering for the military, but they're also looking cautiously at what happens now. It's like step one: get rid of Morsi. All right. Step one achieved. Celebrate. And step two: make sure military rule isn't isn't permanent, isn't, uh, you know, damaging. So uh, you get a lot of people fretting. I see it all over Facebook. For every one hooray, you have a, "Uh uh-oh, hey, military coup. (laughs) Even the U.S. military now, um, U.S. military, yeah, them too. But the uh, U.S. government is saying, I don't know about this revolution part two. You know, they're... They're, oh, we're going to review our money. That, as a matter of fact, that's the first headline you read from the United States. We're going to review our $1.5 billion. Anytime mm-hmm. anything happens in Egypt, they go look at the money and go, I don't know if I want to give this money. It's like you withhold your allowance. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. But it's uh, also admitting that they are totally out of control here uh, of the situation. It's like, uh, yeah, I know we don't really have a saying in all this, but we might, you know... <laughs> Keep our money. Yeah, money. Hello. Money, look. Money. Hold it up. Why is nobody listening? <laughs> Hello, it's me, Obama. <laughs> I had a great speech, you know, I recently. I was in Africa. Yes. I'm good. I've got the Nobel Peace Prize. Look at me. <laughs> look. Yeah, they're really trying to get them to listen or, or pay attention, uh, which is almost, I would say, a mistake on the part of the United States. You know, a lot of people, what I experienced in Egypt is... They're very skeptical of the U.S. government. They like the U.S. They do not like the government. They feel that the government's always working against the interests of, let's say, the average person, the citizen. Um, And, uh, I mean, that's not a far stretch to say that. So I would – it's so easy if the U.S. government would just be a little more careful and a little less with backing – leaders that people hate or that so many people hate or leaders that are just kind of not that great. And, and Morrissey was pretty, pretty pathetic. I mean, okay. He's a first president, you know, I guess it's like training wheels, but now yeah. maybe it's time to ride the bike without the training wheels. Um, 
so uh, there's a roadmap. Uh, today you have a new president. I just got the warning while you and I were warming up that the uh, judge uh, from the high constitutional court, the HCC, yeah, you know me, Judge Adli Mahmoud Mansour is the uh, new president. This is pretty cool because this is a guy who I don't think ever wanted to be president or thought he would be president, and now he gets the job, which is kind of neat. Like, you, you know you won't be that corrupt because you never really thought you had a shot. Um, yeah, I, I think it was just recently uh, elected being the head of the uh, constitutional 2011. court. yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll be president temporarily. Then the word is uh, early elections or elections as soon as possible. I haven't seen a date on that. Uh, they call it a, f a technocratic government. This is also very interesting, and, and people, I mean, critics definitely seem to skip this reality. Uh, when this removal of Morsi happened, you know, you had this, I don't know, press conference, and representatives of the Coptic Church, uh, which is still significant in Egypt, um, which the Pope, our favorite, <laughs> Tawadros was there oh, yeah. <laughs> with his helmet. Um, so he's there. Uh, the head of Al Azhar, which is like to some extent the Vatican for, well, for Islam in in Egypt anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, they're there and they they support what's been happening. Um, the head of the Salafist party. Again, not everybody's favorite, but part of the process here. They have supporters. Um, uh, El Baradai, in charge of, I don't know what, what are we doing? Liberal Democrat sort of thing. And then you had the leader of this rebel movement, who's apparently this very young guy that looked very nervous, but, but excited to be there. And these were, this is like the Avengers of, you know, the only person that's missing in terms of representation at this point for Egypt was the Muslim Brotherhood, who refused to participate, or at least that's what we're told, the... Uh, The, the party of the Muslim Brotherhood did not come. So it's, you know, this is being done by, there's representation here. There are a lot of people behind these, these individuals. Um, but yes, there is one party that has a lot of supporters as well that is now out of this process. So the, the real question is what, what's happening next? Because in a way, I think the military has learned the lesson that they can't really, you know, be, be at the... Uh, front of the state for a long time so they more or less need to go uh, forward and um, organize new elections and somehow this has to you know move a different path than it did last time question is how i mean probably not so many people will vote for morsi <laughs> again or the muslim brotherhood although some still will right uh the question is who they're going to Uh, vote for and if you look at the or if I look from the outside at this uh, overall constellation it's a weird mix of you know young liberal revolutionists then Islamists then the old military and Mubarak defenders and all these people and it's totally unclear what um, yeah, the, the road ahead is actually going to look like Well, it can only, for me, it can only get better. A lot of people will argue with this. Um, when you had elections, and I said this, and I learned this in Egypt, when you had elections where Morsi was elected, that happened very quickly after the fall of Mubarak. Mm -hmm. The only party that was really organized and, and, had, and was known 
and could reach people and, and promote a platform was the Muslim Brotherhood. Yes. In a way, it was a massive advantage, and in a way, it was also a, a democracy or a, a democratic process that was just – I called it a shotgun wedding. You, know, you just do it in a hurry under the, you know, by gunpoint because somebody's pregnant, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and there you go. Now you've had time. I mean I'm not – well, yeah, they have been doing a lot of uh, grassroots organizing. So all of these groups, regardless if they're good or bad or, or good for who – um, they've now had time to to mature. I mean, it's only been a year, but still, yes. uh, that's a decent amount of time. And so at least now you have an election where it's not one party dominating everything. I mean, it was cool to have democratic elections, and a lot of people say, this is weird because you had elections, but those elections were extremely flawed, and we never talk about that anymore because that's the past. But uh, there's plenty written and has been said about the amount of people that boycotted the election where Morrissey participated because it was so corrupt, and uh, and the amount of uh, parties and leaders who either weren't known at all or who weren't ready. Uh, I mean, El Baradai, it was often said, I think we said it here on this program too, he had been away for a long time in international organizations. He, he was known by some, but not that many. I think that's very different now. You know, he's Is very it? much a household name mm-hmm. in Egypt. That's, I'm not saying he'll win or he deserves to win, but I think he's he's much more of a... Influential person now. Yeah, he has. In a way, he has a fair deal, or maybe we can say voters have a fair deal because now they know as much about him as they might know about Morsi or whoever else. But he's not going to run, is he? Can you say know. he doesn't? He doesn't want to be. I'm not president? sure. I'm actually not sure. But uh, you talked I, to him, didn't you? No, no, I did not talk to uh, El Baradai. Uh, I don't know if that was an option, even. But uh, I did not talk to him or anyone from his party. I did not. Um, I, I noticed people see him as a as a responsible, you know, option. Um, but I don't know. I think he would run. I think he would run. Well, he's doing. He's part of this caretaker government, I guess. Uh, although I'm still figuring out who that is right now. Uh, so I don't think we've seen the last of him at all. But you're right. Maybe he wants to play a more grassroots, uh, non-political figure or non-elected political figure role. Uh, we'll see. There were some other events. I mean, there's a lot of talk now about the streets and, and how is it going to be in the streets and, and the violence over the last few uh, days. As much as there have been huge protests where there was no violence, there was also cases of clashes and um, you know what's going to happen with that. Are they going to get worse? Um, uh, personally, I, I don't think it's as dramatic as people think. I don't think Morsi supporters are going to now, you know, steal some tanks and launch an attack. They might be angry and quietly plot a, a, a some kind of move in the future in terms of elections, in terms of parties. I don't know. Um, and I think what you said earlier still holds true. Uh, some people are still going to vote Muslim Brotherhood, and I suppose they'll still be able to, and that's probably fair. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the, for me, the most irritating part now is having to deal with, not that I'm an Egyptian or an Egypt expert, but you've got to deal with all these outside uh, comments, especially if you follow social media. And it's such a back and forth, you know, oh, this is fantastic. Oh, this is no good. This is a coup. This is terrible. This is not the way. And it's, I mean, it's all worth debating to some extent, but it's just social media just gives it to you over and over again all day long if you don't get out of the house or if you do get out of the house hmm okay so have we um covered i think we've we've covered what's what's on the news right now i mean this is a very yeah. uh 
ongoing story. Yeah. This all basically happened yesterday. Um, not even a day ago. So get ready to hear more about this topic next week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody woke up today kind of checking. I woke up checking, like, did it stick? <laughs> is Morsi back standing at his microphone going, no, no, I'm still here. Or is he really gone? And it seems like this is going to go forward, uh, which is amazing, actually, uh, how it all happened and, and that it is happening. So yeah, you will hear a lot more, perhaps even the next 24 hours. Okay. So let's okay. move on to the topic the world is talking about for two weeks now and is probably going to continue to talk about for a while. Yeah. Uh, you probably already know what this is. It is Mr. Pale Guy, Mr. Edward Snowden still. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to say that. Not captured, but he's sort of confined to this area of Moscow airport, uh, desperately yeah. trying. Oh, no, I'm not so sure he's desperate yet, but um, at least he's got a hard time finding a place to go to next. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the big news. I mean, there's been several layers of news from the Snowden story this week. I think the biggest, especially here in Europe, was the spying uh, revelation. Uh, I don't know if you knew this already, Tim. You had warned me about uh, details about Snowden that I hadn't thought about last week, but this whole thing that he's uh, he unveiled that the NSA, the American National Security Agency, has been uh, bugging and spying on uh, different EU nations. I know the German government has been especially touched by this and and, and speaking out against and, 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 and but the French government as well uh, has been very uh, upset with the uh, American activity that Snowden revealed. Um, and then people say, you know, there's still, we're still going to hear a lot more about this. This has ramifications, you know, spying yeah. on EU countries. I mean, countries. The, the, the German government is a very weird situation right now because you can consider the current German, uh, German government to be a very, very pro-American government. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Miss Merkel even... Um, sort of supported the idea of the Iraq war or at least was opposing to the uh, strong opposition of Gerhard Schröder back in those days against that war. Mm. So sort of trying to squeeze in some, uh, somewhere is like, oh, no, it's still the US and friends and everything. You know, <laughs> it was already a very fishy position she was uh, taking. And uh, even now it's like, oh, oh yeah, they're spying. Um... Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Well, can can we get over with the topic, please? <laughs> can we move to other things? It seems that this is a, you know, they don't really want to act. They don't really <laughs> want to. And it also seems, or at least you can suspect that, or they give the impression now that, you know, they knew this more or less all along. And this was just um, a deal with the U.S. and Germany for a very long time. Actually, we uh, have given the uh, Allied forces the right to spy on Germany oh. uh, to get the unification with East Germany. You know, there have always been several clauses allowing the U.S. to you know act. The actual dimension of spying that's being done 
and the spying on the EU Parliament is now, um, you know, a new new topic. Um, that is what everybody is sort of surprised about. Also on a technical level, even those, you know, all my hacker friends who are looking into this are really surprised in the sense that they say, you know, we've we're not really surprised this is happening. We're not really surprised that it's big. But there are many, many details where we're really surprised to see like how big it is. It's, it's such a, everything happens on such an enormous scale that's something that we sort of thought would be possible but probably is not going ha to happen already but soon. Hmm. That's the strange situation is everybody in. But the German government is really giving a very, very bad presentation here. The theater they're playing is really bad. Hmm. <laughs> and, they're, and they're followed by some weak theater from France as well. Oh, yeah. Although, yeah. Yeah. Especially I mean, when it comes to the pressure being taken. I mean, it, it looks as if the pressure of the US on their European friends right now, although spying on them, you know, is really strong. Maybe it's because they were spying on them, because they've got so much in their hands. They're so like, yeah, if you don't help us, and if you don't ignore this discussion, <laughs> you know what we know. It's, it's a very weird situation. And uh, you've taken this note here uh, of um, the Bolivian president's yeah. plane that <laughs> was prevented from flying over France and Spain and Portugal and Italy, I think. Yes, And yes. so f had to land in uh, Vienna and <laughs> was stopping there for 12 hours before they could continue. And it was more or less all because they thought he might have taken Edward Snowden on his plane home. Yeah. Because Just because of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bolivia is one of the countries where... He has applied for asylum, and uh, it happened that uh, Morales was in Moscow. Right. So, and, and I mean, this is crazy. I mean, if there's anybody who is sort of excluded from general security measurements, it's countries' leaders on planes. You know, <laughs> we've never really heard about get them getting into trouble with anything. They're always stealing stuff. Yeah, uh, probably with the exception of Saddam Hussein or you know guys on that <laughs> level. But Eva Morales, you might not uh, agree, but uh, with his views, but he's still the leader of an independent country, and that's really a hard story. And in the end, the the the, the hands were empty. Of course, Snowden wasn't on that plane, hmm. and now they have to explain what happened and. Nobody really can explain what happened. That's strange. No. I was no, like, but yeah, no, we didn't. Did we? Uh, we don't know. No. <laughs> yeah. But you get a lot of angry, in this case, Latin American leaders who feel like, you know, you wouldn't have done this to uh, the, the prime minister of the UK, which they might have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, this sparks a whole lot of anger. Um, yeah, I think one good strategy would be if all the Latin American nations sent one plane and one president to Moscow, and then they all boarded at the same time, and then you just had a, a quick shuffle. <laughs> we, we can play Snowden roulette. Just, oh, yeah, that's this, a good idea. It's a very video game way to do this. but uh, That's good. Yeah. 
The Snowden Roulette. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, that's Russian I, Roulette in a way, yeah? That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I didn't realize that connection. <laughs> But, so now they're going to be... Russian Roulette in disguise. <laughs> they're going to be side effects and, and they'll be angry uh, uh, problems with relations maybe for a little while. You also have this other detail. Uh, and I think the conspiracy theorists will really jump on this one, maybe rightfully so. There is this... Free trade agreement. Matter of fact, it probably deserves a whole separate news discussion, uh, maybe next week. But I didn't know about this. There's an EU-US free trade agreement. I don't know if they have a better title for it, um, which I already thought kind of existed anyway. But uh, apparently, it would it would be the largest ever in the world, largest trade agreement. And the negotiations are supposed to start next week actually. And the word is, and the reason this starts to get into some bigger news outlets these days, is that they're saying this spying uh, problem <laughs> case could make uh, negotiations, uh, well, could make it difficult, could mean that the EU would stall, would not go forward um, in, in this agreement. And uh, so this is one of those side effects that, that leaders have sort of said, well, this is going to be affected, you know, this is This is what we're, how we're going to get you back. Or, or, you know, we're very offended. Um, and so, yeah, it already has some effect, perhaps. Not only for this trade agreement, there's another, uh, there's another law process going on on the European Parliament level right now, which is about the new uh, directives for data protection laws in, in Europe. Hmm. And this uh, is a super battle in the sense that um, the amount of lobbyists' input into this uh, is surpassing everything they've seen before. Um, and in general, the, the parliament has taken a, a lot of advice from the lobbyist and has, it, it looks as if the original goal of, you know, finding better ways to protect privacy in, um, And Europe was sort of turned upside down, and now it's all about countries, be, uh, companies being allowed to do uh, things the way they want. And a lot of this is actually coming from the US. And now it looks as if in the parliament uh, the sides are turning, and everybody is sort of thinking twice about this. Uh, so the backlash um, might come even earlier than. Uh, expected not only with this trade agreement but also other deals with the US like exchanging information about flights and so mm. on you know which was where Europe was always very open to help the US yeah. uh, that might have come I don't know if it's really coming to an end but it's going to be very difficult for the US to uh, demand stuff yeah so the good old days may be gone. Yeah, of, I'm of not yet convinced because it's really makes me angry a bit how close everybody is still allying with the US in that uh, yeah. respect. Yeah. Actually, it reminded me of, I mean, this was years ago, but it was revealed that the United States had um, bugged the United Nations. Uh, and at the time it was like, hey, hey, and then it just went away. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, there's also, an, uh, at least in Germany, we've got a, a new discussion on secret services in general. I wouldn't say it's really big, but it's happening. It's about time. You know, 
what is the democratic principle secret services uh, work on you know there are no real democratic principles because they are not under control of the public mm -hmm. and they are not under control because that's the very definition of a secret service right. <laughs> it right. is in secret it's not in public but the, the, the real question is what do we have of this and isn't it even worse to have the secret service that's spending a lot of money spying on everybody and in the end not really delivering any meaningful results especially mm -hmm. if you compare it to the amount of money that's being spent on it especially if you compare it to or if you look at the other consequences this all has you know yeah. so but The funny part is that when there's a discussion on, oh, yeah, the U.S. is spying on everybody. The Secret Service is spying. You could also answer like, oh, really? A Secret Service is spying? Oh, that's news. You know what our Secret Service does? It does the very same shit. It's like mm. what every Secret Service on this planet does. It's just the U.S. is much better at it. But we yeah. knew that before, you know, and now we probably know how much better they are. Hmm. That's the only thing. So nobody is really surprised, I think. Yeah, they. I mean, you you bring up a good point. You know, the the accountability and and there is no transparency. There's no accountability. There's not supposed to be because it, in in the case of the U.S., it's the CIA. It's all. Yeah, secret or actually but, this but was the that, nsa another. that's that's where how it works in every country and there could yeah. even be a, a backlash in the other way that uh, the secret services steps up and say oh you know what the u.s can do you know why can't we do that we have to <laughs> you know uh strengthen Fun our secret stuff. services you know uh yeah. to be yeah. as good as them because otherwise we're going to fall behind mm-hmm so there's going to be an influx of german tourists in washington dc <laughs> in the coming year <laughs> <laughs> just, just coincidence interesting city you have here well, let's have a closer look <laughs> yes <laughs> All right. uh, so yes this is surely not the end of the Snowden deal but uh, amazing how, how things change who knows what planes will be stopped in the coming week yeah uh, talking about things that change from one day to the other <laughs> that was really interesting news that the Turkish court actually decided to block all those plans that were going on for Gezi Park in yep. Istanbul, which sort of yep. caused the riots we've been talking about in the last weeks. Well, yeah, so that's, that's how these uh, reports come out. And, and indeed, there was this, this court ruling and that will block uh, the big project. Um, but of course, what I, what I find with news reports on this issue is that it, it often says the park that triggered the unrest. And the word triggered, I guess, is the most important one because, of course, this unrest wasn't just about a park. No. Uh, so, so it is interesting because the, the catalyst, the, the, the key little piece that set the fire, yeah, the, that now we have a ruling and it, it won't be happening, um, which is interesting. But for sure, I mean, the frustration in Turkey and the problems in Turkey will continue and maybe even the protests. It's just the, 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 the park, yeah, there's an, a good ruling when it comes to the future of that park if you're not a fan of, of major development and, and shopping malls and, and so forth. Um, I mean, of course, I think this can be uh, overturned, but for now, the court decided to cancel the changes of construction plans and, um, well, it, it looks like the park will remain as it is. Yeah, but the funny thing is that this is not a new ruling that just happened yesterday 
it actually happened on June 8th. So this is three weeks ago. So this ruling was actually done, this decision was done when the protests were still alive and nobody was reporting on it. Yeah, as I look at it, uh, it does seem so. I don't know why that would be, other than the fact that so often you get wrapped up in in one part of the news story, which is the conflict, which is the clashes, which is the images, and uh, and the the detail of what happened in court. Not as sexy, not as exciting, uh, so not as not as reported. I don't yeah. know if that's exactly what happened here, but it does seem like one of those cases. Yeah. Mm. Gezi Park, that's still a word, available that's for visiting. A, <laughs> yeah, one of the few trees left in uh, Istanbul. <laughs> Not so many out there. Have you been there? Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just last month. Uh, last month in uh, yeah, late May. Um, you 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 have uh, well okay not not many but but yes if you go to Topkapi you have a lot of trees I mean it's it's touristic and mm -hmm. it's not exactly natural um, but yeah no it's true there's a bit of a lack of green space yeah that that as I go over it in my head not a lot of trees to hide under no <laughs> no uh, so that that's the news from Turkey and of course the struggle I think will continue there uh, but uh, a victory for especially for the local people who were were definitely concerned about what's happening and and maybe this sets the tone for the direction that Istanbul will go in the near future after this wave of people saying wait a minute you know how we develop matters and you can't just just flatten everything that's green and, and build uh, everywhere uh, but That's a, that might be a little bit too much right now to say that the city's actually changing its mentality completely, or at least city developers. Um, but maybe, could be, a new spirit for, for the town. Um, I wanted to move to a Portuguese item, since I am in Portugal, and as goes Portugal, could go a lot of financially messed up uh, parts of the EU. Uh, it's been a, a fairly busy week as uh, the foreign minister tried to resign, uh, and when I say tried to resign, it's one of those jobs where you say, I quit, and the boss goes, you can't, and you go, oh, all right, I, I unquit, uh, and that is what has happened. Uh, the finance minister, which is a pretty telling job at this point, if you're finance minister of Portugal, and you quit because you don't like the plan, uh, that is basically what happened. Uh, you know, everybody pretty tired of austerity, even the, the authors of it to some extent, um, you know, the amount of cutting and privatization and uh, it's just, it's gone so far here that even the politicians who kind of led the way, the conservative politicians are going, this is too much, uh, we can't keep doing this. And they know, because I think they realize finally that it's really hurting here. Mm -hmm. And um, But so the, the prime minister refused the resignation of the foreign minister, Paul Portes. Paul Portes is like, he really is kind of a comedic aspect of, of the Portuguese government, but he's been in and out of government for like 15, 20 years. You can't get rid of this guy. And he's from a, a minority party, uh, but, but a partner in this coalition, the CDS. We used to call it the Taxi Drivers Party. <laughs> And uh, the Taxi Drivers Party, for some reason, is pretty powerful in this country. Um, and so the Taxi Drivers Party refused to leave government. So he had to, well, cancel his resignation, basically, even though he's sort of in charge. Um, and, uh, and the prime minister vows to, to stick with 
the plan, but uh, many people think this is a sign, I also do, that he won't last, that people are extremely angry in this country and they have no faith in, uh, in the government. Now, only two years ago, they had no faith in the formal government, former government as well. So uh, this becomes one of those cases where a very much a two-party system, or at least a, part, um, a system where two parties dominate, is really getting disappointing for everyone because they, they do remember hating the, uh, the Socialist Party and now they're very busy hating the Social Democrats and usually that means you have to go back to the Socialist Party and, well, there you go. You see this, this cycle that never ends. Um, so what's happening next? Hmm? What's happening next then? Uh, he rides it out. The Prime Minister rides out and the coalition survives for another few months before more people quit and more protests. There was a general strike last week uh, that uh, that was very obvious. I needed stamps, couldn't get them. And um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I, I think this government doesn't last. And you know, Portugal is seen as this good-behaving student when it comes to uh, doing the austerity and and making the cuts to meet the requirements of the troika. I think that will change um, only because the, the you, you know they just keep requiring more and more to get the next round of whatever. I think that this will become to some extent not not like Greece, but uh, you know the, there was a large there is a large amount of Greeks who say we're not doing it. We're not doing the homework. We're not doing the punishment. Um, and I think you'll hear more of that from Portugal, not in the same style, but you'll you'll hear political leaders get supported and maybe elected who say, "Sorry, we're not going to do this. We're not going to make those cuts. We're not going to we're not going to meet those requirements." And then, yeah, you'll have this conflict between a government and money lenders uh, and, and the troika, and then come the punishments. I don't know if that will happen soon, but it, it feels like it's not far away. Um, and and I really don't blame this country. They're they're really shouldering a lot now. People, it's amazing the money that people have to borrow from family to get by, and it's it's kind of scary. Um, and it's pretty common, you know. Everybody with a nice university education, no job, mm. uh, leaving the country. Everybody seems to be leaving the country here. It's funny to see everybody in the summer just for a week or two before they head back to wherever they live now outside of Portugal. Um, and I think this is. Uh, Significant, not just because I'm in Portugal, but I think there is something to be said for other countries that either are already in this process or may have to get into this process in the near future. I mean, I'm hearing plenty about what's wrong in Italy, uh, and I've been hanging out with some Italians. And uh, you, you know, you always think, well, Portugal, Italy is not Portugal, and so forth. And of course, no, it isn't. But it also has tremendous financial problems, and, and you know, who knows what help will be needed later. And that's not the only country, of course. So, uh, I, yeah, I see Portugal as a, as a sign of, of what could happen in other places. Is it worse than in uh, Spain? Because it's um, generally, at least the, 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 um, the German view on things is that it is bad in Spain. Nobody's really talking about Portugal so much. I think the reason it might look worse, or Spain might look worse, is because Spain had some relative prosperity some years ago, and Portugal didn't really. You know, we never had it good here. Uh, We just had it decent. And Spain has fallen harder because it took, I think, a a deeper plunge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here you just went from kind of bad to uh, bad. But what what about the unemployment uh, for... I think it's just... Among among young people. Uh, It's high. It's high and it's... 
you know, the amount of people who, who don't get paid for work that they do or promised salary later or, um, or have temporary jobs and then it goes away, uh, internships, you know, all the ways actually that you statistically probably it says that you have a job, but in practice you get a, a salary that's barely livable. Uh, I think that happens a lot in Portugal. So I think statistically it might look better than Spain uh, these days, but it's, it's in fact not. Uh, no, I, I think it's, it's just as bad. Uh, if anything, maybe worse because the Spanish government, uh, I haven't checked lately, but they have some means to, to support you and to, you know, they have more money at their... At their um, yeah, to use for, for programs. And the Portuguese government, you really get the feeling like everything will just be privatized or it just won't be done. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to compare such a big country to a somewhat smaller country, but, but we are neighbors and we do hear stories from both sides. Um, it's bad. And also interesting, by the way, to be here in a tourist season. And I've been going to touristic places and uh, everybody's very, it feels very desperate. Uh, you know, you get people coming up to you more often asking if you want to come into a shop or if you want a room that uh, that not did not happen the way it happens this year. You go to these beaches that are beautiful and they're pretty empty and the cafes are kind of empty and you really see it. It's like one of those news reports where like, where are all the people? And uh, that, that I, I get that feeling a lot. Although, you know, now it's July, maybe it's going to change. Um, but uh, I don't know. Portugal, kind of bad. Also, kind of bad is the situation in Iraq. It's always yeah, been bad, but it's not really getting better. No, indeed. And this is one of those stories that, that uh, I put in because we don't talk about Iraq every, every week here. Um, and if you wanted to, you probably could because there's always uh, things happening in Iraq, uh, bad things especially when it comes to violence. Uh, there is a political struggle going on involving the, the, the prime minister and then the two rival uh, parties. In this case, the, the, the news item that I've included is that in the last, uh, even just in the last week, you've had more than 100 people killed, uh, 280 wounded. And this is from car bombings and, and shooting shootings, attacks that have been taking place um, since April. So April and, and, and through until June, the UN uh, released a statistic that 2,500 people have been killed in attacks. Uh, these are in Shiite neighborhoods, or, or so it's said, uh, in markets. And it's, people are saying this is some of the worst violence in Iraq in a very long time and, and wondering if, if the country can, can handle this. Is this is a sign of, of some kind of breakdown that is to come. Um, and I think this gets very overshadowed for a lot of reasons. Um, one is because our attention is on all these other news items that even came before, uh, here on this program came before. But I think it's also because people don't know what to do with this information, right? I mean, um, attacks in Iraq, okay. You know, it seems like a car bombing in Iraq is something that appears on page six or on the little crawl on the BBC on TV underneath, the, you know, on the bottom of the screen. And, and we just sort of, it just goes by, um, There is something about Iraq these days for me that feels very, no one wants to look. Like, oh yeah, we're not there anymore. The military's gone. And they've got some kind of democracy. But it wasn't good, but it's over now. Uh, what, a bombing? Oh, well, I'm busy. Yeah, oh. but it's the West who has completely destabilized this country. 
I mean, yeah. you could you could still argue that things were not great, you know, with uh, the regime of Saddam Hussein. Yeah. But at least it wasn't on that level. You know, it wasn't really on that uh, level of desperation. I mean, for some it was, of course. Mm. But what we've also learned is that just by you know coming in, waving flags, invading, killing uh, lots of people, and turning things around, you make things better. You know, I I, I guess not. That you mm. would find many who wouldn't have exchanged the uh, former situation with the current. You know, if they had to mm. uh, choose. And yeah. and it's still the, the the problem is that those who were really carrying the society, those who were in business, the uh, the doctors and, and everybody who sort of made a good living somehow has probably already left the country and is going for somewhere else. And, yeah. and the rest is fighting now. Yeah. I, I find it to be a very to some extent underreported country and then just You don't even find that many people that are outside of Iraq that are so passionate about it. You know, they're too busy with, with any number of other countries and conflicts. Um, and, and for that reason, I mean, it deserves a lot more attention. And maybe even I will start to try to reach out more to Iraq uh, and Iraqis. Uh, but so that's the latest item, you know, this, this wave of violence uh, that may even continue because a lot of this becomes such a tradition, you know, car bombings have become such a standard way to create some chaos and, and harm people in Iraq. And that's something that, you know, what, before 2003, uh, at least the stories didn't come out, you know, car bombings in Iraq, uh, random shootings. It wasn't, uh, that wasn't a reality. Now it is. Uh, next item beyond Iraq and into Russia, actually, uh, A, um, Tim, a rocket that was launched, a Proton M. That was my nickname in grammar school, Proton M. That was your uh, nickname. No. <laughs> Before you turned to the bicycles. Yes. Uh, there was a crash, and apparently not the first. I mean, this has happened before. What's the story? Yeah, this is really bad. I mean, um, it's the tenth, the tenth failure of the uh, Russian space program to deliver... Uh, a satellite or a deep space mission properly into space in less than three years, which is a total catastrophe by itself. It's that the whole um, Russian space industry sort of is totally out of control and incapable of delivering the kind of quality that the world was used to because for a very long time it was like everybody had problems. And the Russians yeah. had their share of problems too when it all began. But at a certain point in time, uh, especially in the uh, 80s, they have become um, the stable force. They have mm. relied on their old rocket technology that they've developed over time and have uh, sort of um, perfected. You know, It wasn't really the Uh, most shiny, newest, uh, brightest, most intelligent stuff. You know, like the Americans are always usually trying to do things like very, oh yeah, very sophisticated and, and, and look how cool it is, you know, and it's shiny and, 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 and it does all kinds of tricks. And the Russians are just taking, yeah, we took a lot of it and it, it works, you know. <laughs> and um, It's a little rusty. Yeah, and, and these days are over. And in a way, this is also uh, a, a shadow of the past. 
And I think it really goes back to the 90s when uh, Soviet Union was dismantled and, you know, the new Russia uh, evolved. And in these 10, 20 years of um, finding its path into the future, the country itself hasn't really paid so much attention to science and to space programs and they sort of lost one or two generations of people coming in. And now that the old people are leaving, dying, whatever, you know, mm. just ending to work, they're, they're losing a lot of experience and they haven't been able to deal with it properly. And it shows now that these sort of perfected technology no longer works. This particular crash is also very devastating because it has almost destroyed the Baikonur space station, or at least it had the capability to do so. Uh, mm -hmm. It failed just a few seconds after launch. It's nothing that you know happens in orbit or later on, as it was uh, the case with most of the other failures in the last three years. No, it got totally out of control. It was actually live on uh, on, on TV. You know, they were mm. showing this launch and the. Guy on uh, was it Russia twenty four? You know, was commenting it aloud. Look, this looks beautiful. You know, <laughs> and then it launched, and uh, a few seconds later, uh, it sort of turned upside down, broke apart, crashed onto the ground just within you know, I don't know, yeah. one or two kilometers from the actual spaceport, burst into flames, and uh, this whole um, material that was being burned is highly toxic. Uh, and I think it's yet unclear what the impact is. So they had to evacuate the area and so on. And it's not clear how this is all going to uh, continue. And is, is, sorry. is that the same place, Tim, where like Soyuz yes. is launched? That's like the main spaceport for uh, uh, the Russians. It's not in Russia. You know, it's Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Russians are actually building two new spaceports in Russia uh, in, the far, uh, in the Far East. But as far as I know, they are not ready yet. It will take a while. And it's not that you just can't open up a new um, spaceport as you would open a new airport. And then you just <laughs> redirect every flight. You know, A rocket is built for a spaceport. You just mm -hmm. can't take a rocket and let it launch somewhere else. Because of all the calculations that go also into the actual engineering of a rocket, you know, the amount of energy uh, you, you need to get off from this particular point. You know? If the spaceport is exactly or more or less exactly on the same um, latitude, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I don't think this is the case. It might be close. So they don't really have to, too much to, to change. But it's not that you just can take it and, you know, ah, it doesn't work anymore. Let's take the other spaceport. You know, we've got so many left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, as of now, is totally unclear what the implications are because usually the implications go much, much further than just this particular rocket being, you know, probably not working anymore. Uh, it's also the effect it had on the um, cargo they had. The payload was... Again, three GLONASS satellites, that's the Russian uh, navigation system, sort of like the, the Russian GPS, yeah. which is already in uh, operation, but it needs more satellites to uh, improve and to um, replace older ones, probably. I don't know if these were meant to 
extend the system or replace some. I don't know. But yeah. uh, one of the last failures one or two years ago was also three GLONASS satellites. So they have failed to install six other satellites now that were planned to uh, be in, in, in space by now. Um, yeah. And the other thing is that it's totally unclear what's uh, happening with uh, Baikonur now, if the, the, the spaceport itself is sort of damaged. I don't know. I think this is going to be clear soon. Um, and there's also the general question of what's wrong? They don't know what is wrong. You know, is it just a matter of personnel? Is it a matter of uh, structure? Is it a, a matter of the, of the overall organization? Where is the real problem? Because there's a problem, of course. You know, there is a QA problem. There is a uh, they they have failed to provide the proper uh, uh, quality assurance here in that process, and they really have to find a way out of this because otherwise they must expect more and more rockets to fail, and that means that companies who have selected the Russians to deliver their space cargo might go for other uh, countries, especially Europe. Yeah. Mm. And and uh, I mean, maybe I have a question as well at some point for you, but there was the news this week that India launched uh, their uh, first navigation satellite, apparently working on their own GPS, if I understand it correctly. And I'm kind of wondering what's going on with this. I mean, I understand that it's a weird world where we just have one GPS system and it's the American system. But uh, what is this future where there's a, a Russian, a European, maybe an Indian? Uh, That's all about independence. Because the uh, military value of navigation satellites is very, very high. You know? yeah. But you don't really want to depend on an American system if you are uh, you know, mm -hmm. into military issues. So I, I, I guess that uh, the Indian system is more about military use than they claim it to be. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. uh, this local system doesn't really make sense. Uh, the Russian system, GLONASS, was uh, heavily um, pushed by the um, Russian government. I mean, this exists for a very, very long time. You know, that's not totally new. But right. they have um, changed the law that every mobile phone that is being sold in Russia has to support GLONASS since last year. So every iPhone, you know, you, you, you get is also GLONASS capable. And uh, we might see something like this in Europe too once uh, the Galileo system is up. Right. Um, And, uh, yeah, so there is GPS, which is already working. There is GLONASS, which is, yeah, sort of working. But, you know, now they're in trouble. Then there's Galileo, which is not ready yet. They have launched the first two satellites, but there's still uh, a way to go. It takes another few years before this is all running. When it's running, it's going to be a very fine Uh, navigation system because of its uh, super high resolution. The Americans mm. might do things uh, upgrading their GPS systems uh, too in the future. And uh, China has something like this. Uh, I, I, from my understanding, the Indian navigation system is just going to be for that region. So mm -hmm. the regional navigation system. They're not really planning on uh, sending out so many Uh, satellites to um, cover the whole Earth. Because in order yeah. to do that, you also need a, a very large network of um, ground stations too. And it's not only the satellites in space that make a navigational system. You also need a network of ground stations. And while the US yeah. has connections around the world, Russia is uh, big and has connections around the world and cooperation, I think India is still very far away from this. But 
anyway, they collect their uh, experience here now with this. Uh, that's not bad for them. Yeah. All right. So in the future, an Indian person could be driving with the Indian navigation system, but as soon as they leave India, it'll just the screen will just go blank. It'll say, turn around. Yeah. We can't. I, 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 I doubt we'll see support for the Indian navigational system soon in, in any consumer device. Yeah, Damn. We don't know. All right. Well, it is time now, as we get to the bottom of the news list, for another news source. Um, this one I didn't use this week, although I have been reading... Uh, always reading articles on it. And the news source for this week is the Columbia Journalism Review, often called CJR on the internet, cjr.org. And uh, this is an old school one who still does a lot of new school uh, topics. It is, as the title indicates, focused on journalism, but also on privacy and uh, how things are reported. Um, And that's published by the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. So it's a it's an academic or at least university-supported publication. Um, that, of course, the Department of Journalism at Columbia has some of the, the big names in, in media and journalism and th- media theory. So this um, is related to the District of Columbia, D.C., <laughs> and not the country... Columbia, no, it's even it? worse than that. This is the university based in New York. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> and, you know, the U.S. is obsessed with this name, Columbia, Columbia That's Shuttle. Ev- everywhere, isn't it? Carolinas. Yeah, it, I, I don't... Actually, I don't know the origin of that. Why? Why? Yeah, because of Columbus. Oh, that's it? <laughs> right, isn't never it? Mind. I don't know. What, what, could, what other... That's probably what other reason could there be? I didn't realize it would be such an easy and yet somewhat boring (laughs) answer. (laughs) It's just some guy. (laughs) No, I guess you're right. You're right. (laughs) Um, But so I like CJR because of the the behind-the-scenes conversation uh, when it comes to how reporters are doing their work, um, reports on on statistics and and changing. I like... I like stories about changing newsrooms and changing work environments for journalists. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Columbia Journalism Review. It is actually a bi-monthly publication, but online, of course, uh, they're a lot freer to to publish things at different times. I have friends who've published articles there uh, on topics about security and privacy and, and journalists being careful with with uh, data and data encryption. So it's a, it's a really good source. It might seem for journalists, but I think once you really get into it, you'll find that uh, CJR has things that are relevant to, I, I think, non-journalists as well. Uh, although maybe, maybe that's debatable, uh, but I, I like it. So I, I included it this week, um, especially because there have been so many stories about uh, privacy and spying and reporters protecting themselves from, from spying. Uh, so that's cjr.org. And of course, usually we talk about how these things are funded. In this case, it's a university publication, so that's a little clearer. Uh, they also do have a list of, of um, under their About Me, of funders. And you, what you see is a lot of foundations, um, Open Society, uh, Schumann Foundation, uh, a lot of names, some more famous than others, that provide the funding for this one. So, of course, non-corporate as well, which is always very... A welcome thing for me. So, and if you were unable to remember this three-letter domain, uh, you will find it as usual on the news sources page on the newsoftheworld.com website. Yay! Yay! Uh, 
By the way, Tim, I was browsing in my WordPress plugins, little nerdy, and I saw the, the Podlove plugin now pops up on any time you search for, for podcasting. And, and I was like, wow. It was the first time I noticed this. Yes, uh, we're making progress. We had a great release yeah. yesterday, and uh, it's, it's getting uh, better and better and better. And uh, yeah, I'm quite excited. Still yeah. uh, a long way to go, but yeah. Yeah, and if you don't know what, you're ta what we're talking about, don't worry. <laughs> You'll see. Or, I don't know. But, but if you're so a podcaster, yeah. take a look at podlove.org. Um, yeah. That might be helpful. All right, cool. And uh, otherwise, let's see. Are we back next week? Um, I think we are. All right. Sounds good. I'll be here in Portugal uh, holding the country up with my both arms. <laughs> okay, good luck with that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the comments. Thanks for all the feedback on the various social medias. And we will catch you for another news next week. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.